Today is the first day of our second focus, and it is called physicality. We're going to be focusing on our physical health, specifically making long-term behavioral changes in the area of our physical health that will bring forth long-term health and long-term wholeness and long-term joy. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Now, many of you know I went on a juice fast, and uh, I went on a juice fast for 14 days. I just finished that juice fast a few days ago. I lost 23 pounds. Can I get a witness? But the most important aspect of that juice fast was that losing that weight and getting all of that garbage out of my body brought a whole new level of energy into my body. By the end of it, I wanted to run. I wanted to play basketball again. I wanted to get into the gym. And so I've been going to the gym four times a week minimum, getting in there and running and and, and mostly cardio because... You know, I mean, if I were trying to build muscle, you wouldn't see it because it's buried. It's under, you know, it's, it's got some layers over it. And so I, I want to just get, I, I want to get my heart in shape. So I'm doing cardio. You know, I, I want to be able to play basketball again. I'm going to the gym practice. I can barely make a layup right now. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Now, the fast was not my one thing. Why? Because a fast is not sustainable. You can't do a juice fast for the rest of your life. The fast was to get me to the place where I could actually start my one thing. And my one thing is this. My physical one thing is a a 1,700-calorie-a-day diet and at least four days a week in the gym working out. That is my one thing. That is my long-term, sustainable decision that I'm making. Now, I'm going to need a small group for this, so I signed up for one this morning. Because I can't do this by myself. So if you're in my small group... And you'll know Thursday night, if you're in my small group, I'm going to need your help, okay? I'm going to need you to help. But let me tell you something. You can't do it without a small group either, so get into a small group, all right? So we're going to do this thing. One last thing I want to say. Juicing has really been an important part of this for me. Juicing was not just for the fast, but I'm going to be juicing for the rest of my life. I got my family juicing. My daughter is helping me make juices. She's like, Daddy, can I put the apple in? Yeah, go ahead. She's loving it. You know, she's excited about it. Made juice for my wife and my baby yesterday, and we all drank juice together. Juice is important. And so here's what we're going to do. A lot of you started juicing when you heard I was juicing, and and many of you can't afford a juicer. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to give away one juicer at the end of the month of September. We're going to pick one person in the church who wants that juicer. And it's not going to be a $50 juicer. It's going to be like a $200 juicer. It's going to be like an awesome juicer. Okay, and we're going to give it to one person. And we're going to have a contest to see who gets it. And so just keep your ears open because within the next week, by next Sunday, we're going to give you the details of that contest. And then we're going to see who gets it. But what we're looking for is long-term sustainable change. Last thing I want to say, don't think because you're skinny, you're healthy. Because some of y'all are like, physical health, I got that. Let me tell you something. Skinny people have heart attacks all the time. It's a... Maybe, you're, maybe you ain't got to lose no weight. Maybe you need to gain some weight. Some of you here, you, your one thing needs to be put on 10 pounds. Some of us need to quit eating fried chicken. Other of us need to eat more fried chicken, okay? So we're going to work on that together. We're going somewhere. Okay. I'm going to miraculously preach this sermon in 30 minutes because I don't want to keep you here all day and all night, okay? So I'm, a, I'm, I'm asking God for grace, a 30-minute grace to get this message to you. Can you just pray with me? Just pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, just give him the grace. Shut up after 30 minutes. In, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I declare you will lack nothing. I'm going to give you this word in 30 minutes. You'll be on your way. You're going to be free in every way, completely free. By the way, welcome to Living Hope Christian Center for those of you who are... Did we ask for first-time guests already? We already did that. Okay, welcome. We love y'all. Good to see y'all. Is, is my microphone coming? What's happening? Okay, so just preach with this for right now. Are we good? Am I being recorded back there? Okay, you keeping the camera on me? <laughs> All right, here we go. The month of September, I'm going to be preaching a three-part series entitled The Body and the Bible. The Body and the Bible. And in the month of September, we're asking this question, what is the spiritual significance of the physical body? 
what is the biblical significance of the biblical of the physical body of the biblical body now we all know what Christianity is about right have you ever heard anybody say that Jesus wants to save your soul Jesus wants to save your soul and we say that so much that it tends to imply that all Christianity is about is the salvation of the soul. And the body is not really important, is it? You ever been to a funeral? For some reason, every funeral I go to, there's at least five or six people that go up and say, this isn't our brother. This is just his body. This isn't him. This is just his body. The body doesn't mean anything. It's just discarded. Let me tell you something. The body is far more important to God than it is to us. And what this series, The Body in the Bible, is, all, is going to be all about is shifting our minds and our hearts so that our physical bodies are just as important to us as they are to God. And we're going to go to the Bible to see this. So I want to start with creation, and I want to look at the creation narrative for a second. And I want to zoom in on Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. But before we go there, I want us to look at the way in which God brought about the created order. So in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. The light he called day, the darkness he called night, and the morning and the evening were the first day. So God creates the heavens and the earth by speaking. Let there be. Bam! And there is. He says, let the, he separates the sea from the dry ground. And, the, and then he commands the sea to be filled with fish. Fish, be. Bam! Fish are swimming in the water. Birds, be. Bam! Birds be flying. Right? <laughs> right? You know, he commands everything there is to be, and it be. But when it comes to the creation of humankind, why does he not say, let there be man? Let there be woman. Instead, he comes down into the garden and gets on his hands and knees in the dirt. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture says, And the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What did he form out of the dust of the ground? What part of Adam did he form out of the dust of the ground? His body. Immediately we begin to see the significance of the physical body already from the second chapter of the Bible. That God takes special care in forming Adam's physical body. He doesn't form Adam the way he forms the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, or the fish of the sea. There's something different about this physical body. God gets on his hands and knees and sculpts him with his hands. And it says he formed him in his own image and likeness. God says this physical body will be a reflection of my image and my likeness. It's pretty important for God to leave his throne in heaven. He didn't even leave his throne for everything else. Set up there on his throne. Let there be light. Bam, there's light. Let there be birds. Tweet, tweet, there's birds. <laughs> Let there be. But he says, hold on. It's time for man. I'm going to do something special. He gets up from his throne. He comes down into the earth, gets down on his hands and knees, and he's got to get his hands dirty to create Adam. Now watch this. The scripture says in Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed Adam, Ha-Adam, the man, Adam. We call him Adam. The word in the Hebrew is Adam, the man. Formed Adam out of the dust of Adama, of the earth. Earth, Adama, man, Adam, he formed man out of earth. Adam literally means earther or earthy. Man of earth. Adam is a man of earth and God forms him out of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath 
of life. And man became a living soul. In his own image and likeness, Adam was the logo of God. He was God's icon on the earth. He said, you're going to reflect my image to every living being on the earth. The earth is going to see you and see me. Everything that lives will see in you a reflection of who I am. And Adam's physical nature participated in that. All right. So we need to understand, there's a number of things we need to understand about the physical bodies of Adam and Eve. First of all, the physical bodies of Adam and Eve were completely without sin. Holy. Blameless. There were absolutely no dysfunctions of the flesh to speak of in Adam and Eve. You know, when we think about physicality, we think that the physical nature is kind of part of the evil part of who we are. It's about the body. The body is wicked. The body is dirty. The body, my body is a sinner. Your body is a sinner. Let me tell you something. That is not Bible. Adam and Eve had physical bodies, and their bodies were completely without sin. God did not create two sinners in the Garden of Eden. They became sinners. They were not created sinners. They, it was not in the creative design. To be a human being does not mean to be a sinner. It means to be created in the image of God, and it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and in a face-to-face encounter with God. That is what it means to be a human being. Adam and Eve surely enjoyed sexual interactions with each other in the garden freely. And without any of the hang-ups or the maladies that accompany the phenomenon of sexuality in our day and time. I mean, they freely experienced it. And what they began to find in their sexual relationship with one another is that the purpose of the physical body is good pleasure. God gave us a physical body so that we can experience a realm of pleasures and delight, delights that are exclusive to the physical realm. That's why he created the Garden of Eden. It was a place of pleasure. It was a place of virtually unending pleasure. And Adam and Eve freely ate from the trees of the garden. Without, there was no gluttony. They could have as much as they want. I mean, God, in, in the Garden of Eden, the trees were everywhere and the fruit was everywhere. I mean, there was all kinds of food for them to eat. They had, there were no hang-ups or maladies surrounding food and nutrition. It was just everything they ate was healthy. Everything they ate was pure and clean. They never felt like they overate, and they never felt like they underate. I mean, isn't that how we live? Either you eat too much and you feel like a glutton, or you eat too little and you're not satisfied. We're stuck between gluttony and dissatisfaction. Adam and Eve didn't experience either. They were completely satisfied by everything they received. They were completely satisfied in the enjoyment of one another. And they were completely satisfied in the enjoyment of all of the food that God put in the, in the Garden of Eden for them. The physical bodies of Adam and Eve were in complete harmony with their spiritual nature. There was no distinction between their physical bodies and their spiritual nature. There was no wasting away of the body. You know, Paul says, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. No, outwardly they were being renewed. Inwardly they were being renewed. There was no distinction between their inner being and their outer being. Their inner man and their outer man were one man, one being. They were one. And in complete, and even their physical bodies were in fellowship with God. God would, God did not, you know, when God would meet with Adam and Eve, it's interesting. God never took them up into third heaven. He never took Adam out of his body and up into third heaven. You know, we, we talk about that all the time. Oh, God took me up into the heavens and my body stayed here, but God took me up into the heavens and he, I, he took me into the temple and showed me and I saw 15. No, no. God would come down and say, come on, Adam. And I would say, Hey, what's up? What's up, dad? And they would walk in the garden and the, even his physical body. It was God coming to Adam and Adam and and God being together, being one without any physical interference. The body wasn't in the way. The mind wasn't in the way. The heart wasn't in the way. It was all in harmony with God. Now, the thing we need to understand is that even though the garden was a perfect world and it was full of delights and full of pleasures, it doesn't mean that there was no need for discipline. The first thing Adam and Eve learn about the physical body is that the purpose of it is the provision of pleasure. But the second thing they learn about their physical nature is that the provision of pleasure always brings with it the necessity of discipline. And so God says you can have all of these fruit, but this one tree, this is the line of discipline. 
Don't cross it. Are you with me? Come on, say amen. Talk to me. Say something. That was good. That was good, Pastor. That was good. That was good. Come on, shake your heads. Yes. I'm teaching my staff to do that. When anybody's talking in the staff meeting, everybody else just shake your heads. Yes. Smile. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's how you keep going. I'm trying to get you out of here in 30 minutes. You've got to help me now. And so, and so there was the realm of discipline. Even though the garden was a perfect world, it did not mean that there was no need for discipline in the garden. There was discipline. And what is discipline? Discipline is the purposive denial of particular forms of pleasure. It is the denial of particular forms of pleasure for a purpose. God says you can enjoy all of this pleasure, but this pleasure you cannot enjoy. Notice God was not distinguishing between that which was pleasurable and that which was not pleasurable. They're both pleasurable, but God was distinguishing between good pleasure and evil pleasure. Good and evil existed in the garden, but Adam and Eve were completely ignorant of it. Why? Because God put a line of discipline there so that they would never have to know evil. Discipline is what creates innocence. God said, you're supposed to be innocent of this. Don't eat from that tree. Why? Because there's some stuff you're never supposed to know. There's some stuff that you're never supposed to go through. How many know that in this life, there's some stuff that you just never should know? You should never have to go through it. You should never have to. And if you go through it, God will lead you through it. And if you go through it, God will heal you and restore you of it. But it's better for you just not to know. It's better for you not to go through it. You know, there's this idea that if, well, if I never went through anything, God couldn't do anything in my life. Yeah, that's true. But I let God choose the stuff that I should go through. I don't want to choose it for myself. And so there was a need for discipline. God says, of every tree in the garden, you can eat. But of this tree, you cannot eat. If you eat it, you're going to die. Now watch this. Original sin, the first sin, the temptation of Eve. This is going to blow you away. I never thought of this before. The first sin that was committed by a human being was a food sin. Eve did not sin sexually. She didn't cheat. She didn't lie. She didn't rob anybody. Didn't cheat on her taxes. Didn't show up late for work. Didn't slander nobody. All she did was eat something that God said not to eat. Think about it. The original sin was a culinary sin. (laughs) When the devil came to Eve, he subjected her to culinary temptation. He said, eat this. Put this in your mouth. And isn't it funny that food sin is the only sin we don't talk about in the church? We talk about resisting every other form of temptation, but food sin? Hey, you're all right. Because we all agree that we're all going to fall into that one together. And because we all fall into that one together, we become one another's priests. I absolve you of that one. Do you absolve me? We sit down at the table together and we look at these horrendously large portions of food. You remember when you used to go to a restaurant and leave kind of hungry? Saying that wasn't enough. Back in the day, portions weren't as huge as they are now. But nowadays, you never have that experience. You walk away going, oh my God, how much did I eat? That was 1,800 calories on that plate. You realize that was a whole day's worth of food? And we eat and we just look at one another and go, in el nombre de Padre... Del Hijo del Espíritu Santo. <laughs> and then we and then at some point we go, Requiem Eternam, Dona Eis Pachem. It looks that's the fu- funeral. Anyway. <laughs> we talk about every sin but food sin. And when we do talk about food, we talk about it for a second, but then we flip the script. So now the Lord doesn't want us to gluttonize. Oh, but you know I love me some chicken. Mm, 
Well, uh, I need it fried, uh, not baked. Uh. I remember seeing those oil commercials. I used to make fun of white people. Because white people talk about greaseless fried chicken. No black person want no greaseless fried chicken. It ain't fried chicken unless the grease runs down your arm. See, but see, we got to get a hold of this, though. You know, I was listening to this radio show recently, and it was these two African-American gentlemen. And they were asking the question, why is it that African-American males are in the number one death category of any ethnic group in every categorical major disease? Every major disease, heart disease, heart failure, strokes, Aortic aneurysm. I mean, you talk about any heart attacks, any major disease, diabetes. I mean, it's all black males. Number one. And they asked the question, why is it? And then they answered the question. Well, have you ever been to one of our cookouts? <laughs> My grandmother used to make soul food. And she would make this big pot of greens. And it would look delicious and it would look healthy. Until you put it in the fridge overnight and take it out in the morning, open it up, and it's white. She had a can of grease on the side of the stove. You fry everything in that grease. Everything starts taking like, tasting like fish. I fried me some eggs, but how come these eggs taste like fish? But, the, but these two gentlemen, they, they, they mentioned it and they said, it's because of the way we eat. And, and they talked about that for five minutes. And then they said, oh, but you know I got to have me some fried chicken. And the other one said, oh, I hear you, my brother. Oh, I'm with you on that, my brother. And the other one said, but you know you got to fry it in a cast iron skillet, right? And the other one said, oh, no, bro, you can fry it in a tin skillet. He said, no, brother, that's failure. There are certain flavors that will not be imparted to the chicken unless you fry it in a cast iron skillet. And the whole rest of the show, they were arguing about whether you fry chicken in a cast iron skillet or a tin skillet. And they even had folks calling in. I fry my chicken in a tin skillet and my chicken be good. And they were arguing, they didn't fix the problem. It was just, by the way, we are gluttons to the death and we like it. And we think it's okay. When it comes down to it, I think we have to stop and confess that our physical bodies are far more important to God than they are to us. Adam and Eve sinned. And that sin was not a spiritual sin. It was a very physical sin. It had to do with their physical bodies. And the first result of that sin was a result in their physical bodies. The first result of the sin of Adam and Eve was not that they felt separated from God. It says they realized that they were naked. Can you imagine it? Adam and Eve have been naked their whole life and never noticed it. Could you imagine a world where everybody's naked and nobody even knows it? Like nobody's even tripping? Like, what's up, naked people? How's everybody doing? You know, everybody's just naked. Nobody even cares. Nobody's tripping. And all of a sudden, you're standing there next to Eve and you're eating the fruit. And all of a sudden, you go, oh my God! I mean, that's, that's, that's not a happy moment. To wake up and realize you've been naked your whole life. And everybody has seen you? How long have I been like this? You've been like that your whole life. How come nobody told me? I mean, did nobody think to tell me? You ever had something wrong and nobody told you? Don't you just feel betrayed? Adam and Eve must have felt betrayed by one another. Right? And what was the first thing they did? They hid their bodies. The first result of sin was shame in the body. Before the fall, it says they were naked and not ashamed. I don't care if nobody sees me. Shoot, I'm proud. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, they're naked and ashamed. 
And the first thing they did, the first result of sin was the hiding of the physical body. That is, the first result of sin was a negative body image. They clothed themselves in fig leaves. And then they heard God coming and they jumped behind a bush. Hide from one another and hide from God. The result of sin is I don't want anybody to see me. You know when somebody's going through, isn't it interesting that when somebody's going through stuff, they'll stay home and watch Joel Osteen on TV, but they won't show up at the church. I don't want nobody to see me. It's not like I want to hide from God. I want to hide my body from people. I don't want to be seen. I don't want anybody to look me in the eye. Why? Because somebody might see something in me. Somebody might know there might be some spiritual people around there that know what I've been doing. You ever been scared that somebody's going to look you in the eye and get a prophetic word, brother? I know what you've been doing all week long. I see it in people's eyes sometimes when I say, I'm going to talk to you. What you want to talk to me about? Does he know? Does he know? Relax, brother. Relax. Relax. I got to talk to you about the bake sale. (laughs) Folks, I think I'm going to stay home and watch the live stream today. Can I tell you something about the live stream? The live stream is not for members of this church. The live stream is for people outside of this church. You know what's for people in this church? This seat's right here. You can watch the live stream when you're real sick and you gots to stay home. Just bring me a doctor's note the next Sunday and we'll be all right. Or when you're out of town, just bring me a note from your job. Mmm. Mm. <laughs> to know that you're naked. God comes walking in the garden, says, Adam, where are you? God comes walking in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He goes, Adam, where are you at? Adam? Look, we meet at this time every single day. Isn't it funny that God came looking for Adam, even though he knew he had messed up? That God didn't say, I'm not showing up. Man, Adam did me wrong. I'm never going to talk to him again. Isn't it funny? You think God is running from you, but you're actually running from him. I mean, God is running to you. He knows that you messed up, but he knows that he's your only way out. Adam, where are you at? Adam said, well, we heard you coming in the garden, and we were afraid, so we hid. Adam, you haven't taken any theology classes yet. So you don't know that I see everything. You thought you could hide from me. That don't make no sense. You're going to hide behind the bush I create. You think I can't see through a bush? Even other human beings can see through a bush. (laughs) What are you doing? What are you hiding back? Adam would have been... (laughs) Man, Adam wouldn't have done too well playing hide-and-go-seek as a little kid. (laughs) He said, well, we were afraid. Why were you afraid? Because we're, we're naked. Who told you? Who told you you were naked? I had a father tell me one time, he said, I sat my 13-year-old son down and started to tell him about the birds and the bees. He said, Dad, I already know all that. He says, who told you? Who told you? He said, Jamal told me. In the third grade. I already know. God says, who told you you were naked? You were never supposed to figure that out. You were never supposed to experience shame. Do you know that there's stuff you were never supposed to experience? Stuff that you were never supposed to be exposed to. You know, kids are being exposed to sin so early in life, and they got to battle stuff that they should have never had to battle. And people are saying stuff like, oh, little boys, their hormones start raging at 13 and they can't stay sexually pure. You know what? If they weren't exposed, if they weren't bombarded with sexual imagery from the time they were little kids, they wouldn't have any struggle at 13 years old. Who told you? Man. Dang it. Adam? Man, I was trying to protect you from that. 
That's why I said don't touch that. I was trying to protect you from that. That's why I said don't eat. I didn't want you to feel what you're feeling right now. But God, we thought you were just trying to kill our joy. We just thought you were trying to restrict us. We didn't think it was fair that you said we couldn't do that. Do you really think I would create this garden for you and give you all things freely to enjoy but restrict you just to restrict you? I want you to experience nothing but life and freedom and joy. But in order to have that, you've got to have some discipline. Adam, who told you to know that you're naked means to be ashamed, to feel exposed in front of others, to feel somehow inadequate before others and before God. And the curse is the result. God says, man, now I've got to curse the earth. Now, the first thing we need to understand about the curse, it's so often been called the Adamic curse. Let me say this. God did not curse Adam. You go read the Genesis narrative again. Find the place where God says, Adam, you're cursed. And God did not curse Eve. He never cursed Adam and Eve. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. He says, you're going to till it from now on in the sweat of your brow. It's the result The result, you're going to deal with the consequences of your sin, but that's not the same thing as a curse. The curse is not on you. The curse is on the ground. And he cursed the serpent. Cursed are you. He says, you're going to crawl around on your belly and eat dust until you return to it. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. You know, there's a member of our church that just bought a new snake. Every time I see them pictures on Instagram, I'm like, the devil is a liar. <laughs> I wanted to write under it, you know who else likes snakes? Ah. Satan. <laughs> Every time I see it, I just want to go over there and just crush its head. Adam must now depend upon his own strength to provide food for his family. And Eve must bring forth children with great pain and anguish. These are the results. These are the effects of the fall. And you must understand that the effects, the results of the fall, were particularly bodily effects. The result of sin is a bodily effect. The sin of the fall was the act of taking something into the body that God said, don't take. And its negative consequences are felt in the body. And those negative consequences of the fall, they're threefold. The first negative consequence of the fall is a negative body image, which is shame. The second is an over-dependence upon physical strength. And the third is a nagging vulnerability to the limitations of the physical body, which we can call a propensity for physical suffering. Three results of the fall. First of all, a negative body image. Second of all, an over-dependence upon physical strength. And thirdly, a nagging vulnerability to the limitations of the physical body, which is a propensity for physical suffering. Three negative ramifications of the fall. It's very important for us to understand that. Why? Because you cannot understand salvation until you understand the fall. Why? Because the salvation that Jesus came to bring was not simply the fact that you get to go to heaven when you die. The Bible never says salvation is simply spiritual or eternal life insurance. If anything happens to you and you die, don't trip. You're going to heaven and not hell. That's true, but that's not the whole story. Salvation is better called redemption. And redemption is about restoration of what was lost. In order to redeem something, you have to restore to it what was lost. Are you following me? This is my definition of the gospel. I want you all to get this. Write it down. Type it in your phone. Put it in your iPad. Write it on the back of your hand. Write it on the back of the head of the person sitting in front of you if you need to. If you're sitting in front of, in front of Guillermo, you're, you're doing good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
This is salvation, the gospel. You got to know what the gospel is. What is the gospel? The gospel is the proclamation of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. The gospel is the proclamation of the reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you didn't get it, just get the podcast. The gospel is the message that everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden has been reversed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just you get to go to heaven when you die, but what Satan did to us in the garden, Jesus reversed on the cross. What went wrong in the garden was made right in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the message that Jesus came from heaven to earth to set us free from every consequence of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden. He came to make right what went wrong in the garden of Eden. That is the gospel. You following me? Now, if redemption is about the reversal of the problems associated with the fall, then redemption is just as much about our physical nature as it is about our spiritual nature. What went wrong in the garden went wrong with the body. That means what went right on the cross went right with the body. This is why the first thing Jesus did when he came from heaven to earth was be born in a human body. It was the body that went wrong in the garden. Jesus says, I'm going to take on a human body and make it right in the body. The problem was the body. The solution is the body of Jesus Christ. Follow me. And this brings the healing ministry of Jesus into proper perspective. The first thing Jesus did was proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. Second thing he did was command us to repent and believe the gospel. And the third thing he did was he healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out demons, fed the 5,000, miraculous catches of fish. All of the miracles of Jesus were oriented towards the body. Do you notice that? There were no spiritual miracles. His miracles were aimed at the human body. Remember, there was a woman who for 18 years was bent over like this. She comes into one of Jesus' meetings. He said, you're loose from your affliction. Stand up straight. And she stood up straight. She was come. He restored her physical body. He made the lame walk. He made the blind see. He opened deaf ears. He made the mute speak. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He aimed it at the physical body. Why? When he saw sickness, he saw the Garden of Eden. He saw what the devil did to humankind. He says, I'm going to reverse it. And that is the gospel. His ministry was primarily oriented towards bringing heaven to earth. And bringing heaven to earth means applying the spiritual resources of heaven to physical problems. Follow me. His ministry was about redeeming the physical body, healing it of its maladies, delivering it of its dependencies, freeing it of its bondages, disconnecting it from its evil tendencies, and connecting it to the life of the kingdom of God. That's what his ministry was about. So we must not forget that the promise of salvation and eternal life through Christ is rooted and established in the promise of the resurrection of the dead. Going back to the funeral illustration, people go to funerals and go, that's just his body. He's not here. That's just his body. That's not him. No, let me tell you something. Next time you go to a funeral, that's him. That's him. I remember at my grandmother's funeral, I was so hurt. I loved my grandmother so much, but I remember closing the casket on her and thinking, there she is. That's her. Yes, momentarily, she's absent from the body and present with the Lord, but that's not her eternal state. That's her. It's not over for this body that's being sown into the ground right now. It's, the casket is closing, but it's only closing for a moment. I remember when we put her in the ground and we each took a shovel of dirt and 
poured it over her casket. I remember the anguish and the pain of that moment. It was like time slowed down as I held the shovel over that casket, as, as if I could see every grain of dirt falling off of that shovel, shovel and onto her casket. The pain was intense, but at the same time, in my spirit, I began to see the Lord himself descending from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And when it talks about the dead in Christ rising first, it's talking about the ground opening up and that casket coming out of the ground. And I don't care if there's nothing but dust and bones in that casket. Flesh is going to come on those bones and she's going to rise. I'm telling you that it is a physical resurrection. The body you have now. That's the body you're going to have. Stick with me. The physical body that you're wearing right now. You're going to wear it for a long time. In eternity. Your body is not a prison house that you're stuck in. It was the Greek philosopher... Plato that said that the body is the prison house of the soul. And that idea stuck in Western philosophy. Let me tell you something. That's not biblical. That's a lie. Your body is not a prison house that your soul needs to escape from. Your body is going to be with you forever. The one you're wearing right now. Oh, you're not hearing me this morning. Listen, if you don't like your body, you got a problem. You got an eternal problem. I hear people say, man, I hate my body. I hate my body. (laughs) Well, you need some therapy. Because you can't divorce it. You can't divorce it. You're stuck with it. You got it. It's yours. In eternity, you're going to have that body. Now, yes, right now it's a physical body. Paul said it's sown a physical body. It's raised a spiritual body, but it's the same body. Its properties are different in the resurrection, but it's the same body. It's healed of all of its infirmities in the resurrection. There's some stuff in this life that you may never be healed from, but let me tell you something. In the life to come, all of that stuff is gone. Somebody said, is it going to be old or young? I don't know, but the one thing I know is going to be the same body. You ever seen the movie, What Dreams May Come? With Robin Williams? You remember that movie? Remember he was white, he was a white man, and then he died, and he came back as Morgan Freeman or something like that? Or Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding Jr. Who did he come back as? Yeah, came back as Cuba Gooding Jr. The devil is a liar. Let me tell you something. You're not going to die white and then be black in eternity. You can't turn Asian in a resurrection. You're going to be you. You're going to be you. So you better get used to you. You better wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I love you. I I like what I see. Yes, there's room for improvement. And we're going to work on you. But we're going to work on you because we love you. You better get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, for all of this. Hmm. Why? Because if you don't love your physical body, you're still living in the garden. You're still hiding behind the fig leaf. You're still jumping behind the bush. Jesus came to redeem you of your negative body image. And when I'm talking about negative body image, I'm talking about every facet of shame that would cause you to hide from anyone. Anything that causes you to want to hide your face. You don't want to, you know what? Shame always works on the body. The first thing you want to do is remove your physical body from the presence of those that you feel ashamed around. It's part of your negative body image and it comes from the fall. And I'm telling you, you don't got to carry that anymore. Jesus died to set you free from that junk. It's time to come out of the garden. It's time to come out from behind the bush come out from behind the fig leaves. Now, I'm not talking about starting a nudist church. Because, see, there's a process of sanctification that we're all in the, in the middle of right now. And that might be a disruption to that process. 
But I'm saying that you can walk free from that negative body image that has held you captive for so long. You know, so many of us treat the physical body like we don't care about it. The problem with modern day Christianity is that our physical bodies are not nearly as important to us as they are to God. God took great care in the way he created your physical body. He took great care. Why? He knew that you were going to have it for a long time. And let me tell you something. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't make any mistakes. And the Bible commands us to glorify God with our physical bodies. And when the Bible says glorify God with your physical body, it's not, it's not talking about physical per- perfection. We believe God to heal every sickness, every disease. We believe God for all of that. But your physical infirmities do not rob God of his glory. God's glory can shine right through your physical. And all of us got some kind of physical infirmities. For some of us, dancing is a physical infirmity. We just can't do it. It's like you got an affliction. You ain't got no rhythm. That's okay. That, that can't be healed. Not in this life. No. There's some things even God can't heal. But you know what? God loves to watch you dance and act a fool, even though you can't do it. He loves it. He's, we're not talking about perfection. We're simply talking about making a decision to allow the work of the cross to work in you and say, I love my body the way God loves my body. And secondly, we're talking about making decisions that are in agreement with God's eternal purpose for your physical body. And God's eternal purpose for your physical body is holiness, purity. It's pleasure, good pleasure. It's long life and great joy. The psalmist said this, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So many of us are not satisfied by long life. We want to be satisfied by momentary food. I want to change that about me. This is confession time. Because sometimes I just want to eat stuff that I know will kill me. (laughs) Loving your body is about making decisions for your body that are in keeping with God's eternal purpose for your body. God promised us long life, but some of us are going to fight him all the way. (laughs) We, We keep making decisions. We're trying to poison our bodies every day. And then claiming the promise of life, but every day trying to poison our bodies. Some of us are trying to commit culinary suicide. Food, the first sin, was a sin with food. And it's the only sin we don't talk about in the church. Now in the church, when we talk about, when we talk about sin, the first thing people think of is, oh, Lord, here comes the sex talk. Because we think sexual sin is the only sin we can commit. <laughs> we need to talk about food sin. And we need to talk about making decisions for our bodies that are in agreement with God's purpose. God wants you to know your body by the spirit. And he wants you to relate to your body as the spirit would teach you to relate to it. And this means abstaining from what God says is evil and enjoying what God says is good. And it means making decisions for your physical body today that are in agreement with God's eternal plan for your physical body. Health, strength, good pleasure. And great joy. Let's pray. Lord, we've had a lot of fun with this message. Had a lot of laughs. But Lord, there's some serious stuff that we're talking about today. Because we're talking about stuff that has tormented your people for generations. Lord, there's a few areas in life where so many of us in the body of Christ have just been tormented. One area is our finances. Another area is our sexuality. But a third area is our physical health. God, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for a dispensation of the Holy Spirit that would break off the shame, the discouragement, the disillusionment that the enemy would attach to the physical bodies of your sons and daughters. Break it right now in Jesus' name.
Break it right now. In the name of Jesus. I know you're discouraged because you've tried again and again and again and again. I know you want to change, but you just don't know how. But I say to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. The first thing you got to do is break that negative body image off. Break it off. It belongs in the garden. It's a part of the fall. It's what Jesus came to redeem you from. Break it off. Some of you have even spoken words like, I hate my body. You need to renounce that right now in the name of Jesus. Renounce it. Speak blessing over your body. Some of you have been cursing your physical body. You wonder why it breaks down. You've been cursing it. Break that curse right now in Jesus' name. Just just say it out loud. I renounce that curse in Jesus' name. Whatever negative I've spoken over my body, I break it in Jesus' name. I break it in Jesus' name. Some of you have said things like, I'm not attractive. Nobody likes me. Just silence those lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' name. Break it. Break it. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that power of shame that comes against the people of God. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I say the power of God is coming to give you strength to make a life change. To make decisions for your physical body that are in agreement with God's plan. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. You're not going to lay down and die. You're going to live. You're going to bring glory to God with your physical body. Come on. I know you fell down 20 years ago and couldn't seem to get back up. Well, you're getting up today. You're getting up today. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you have been saying, one day I'm going to change it. One day I'm going to change it. No, you're going to change it today. You're going to change it today. Come on, make a decision today. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of a new life. A new life. New strength. Some of you have got physical infirmities that you've prayed for healing for years and haven't seen it. I say this is the year you're going to see your healing this year. Believe it. Begin to believe it right now. I speak blessing. I speak strength. I speak encouragement. I speak life. I speak peace. I speak wholeness and great joy. In Jesus' mighty name. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak over your life. I break that negative body image off of you. I break shame off of you. I break discouragement off of you. I break it in Jesus' name. And some of you here have been harmed in your physical body. You've been assaulted in your physical body. Some of you here have been molested in your physical body. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release the power of God to bring healing to that trauma. I just command that trauma to leave your body right now. In the name of Jesus, I reverse the effects of that trauma from over your body right now. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, just fall right now. Lift it. You're going to feel like a weight is lifted off of you right now. You're going to feel like a weight, a thousand pound weight you didn't even know you were carrying is lifted off of you right now. Freedom in your body. A new wholeness is coming out of this. A new freedom is coming out of this. A new joy is coming out of this. A new life, a new strength is coming out of this. In the name of Jesus, we give you all of the glory for it, Father. Hallelujah. Mm. We worship you, Lord. And we give you all of the praise. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Stand to your feet right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. I bless you today with the blessings of the Lord. With the blessings of heaven and the blessings of earth. With long life. With health. And with strength. And with discipline. With good resolve. And with good pleasure. And satisfaction. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.